I'm, of course, uh, Victor Moan, the, the Amish entrepreneur from Kazakhstan. What and the hell is Victor Moan? Yeah, Victor Moan, it's my side name. It's my, from my Amish days when I was churning butter and was one with the trees. So Okay, everyone. Um, I mean, listen. We I, all know Vic has never churned butter in his fucking life. Oh, well, I mean, tell that to Ezekiel. Now, listen, while you were growing up in the backwoods of wherever the hell you're from, <laughs> all right, uh, killing possums and hunting deer and whatever you guys oh, do. I was churning butter and putting a curse on technologies that I knew was going to doom future civilizations. And with social media, me and my Amish friends were correct. We should go back to those days. Well water, churning butter, living out the land. I'm fine with living off the land. I'm fine with well water. I'm not fine with churning butter. You know, I'm already working a construction job. I don't need to get any skinnier than I'm already getting. Listen, just join us and the children of the corn, all right? We're doing good things, all right? So anyways, we are here today to talk about Black Christmas, as in fact, it is actually Christmas Eve. Which means Merry Christmas, motherfuckers, because y'all going to be getting this on Christmas Day, I'm sure. My education of Christmas came from the movie Ernest Saved Christmas, all right? I'm just saying, got to review that one day. Maybe next year, Ernest Saved Christmas. All the Ernest movies, really. Those you are... have definitely failed. This is a B-movie podcast. You can't diss Ernest. Ernest goes to camp. Ernest scared stupid. Ernest went to jail. He went to Africa. He slam dunked. I liked Ernest Goes to Jail. That was a good one. That was a good one. Especially, was the villain played by the same actor? Yes. Okay. Jim Varney. Yeah. yeah, I was wondering why he looked so fucking familiar, too. I'm like... Dude, when I was a kid, every time a new Ernest movie came out on video, I would... And most of them were straight to video. Oh. I would always get it. I man. thought all of them were. The, I think the first couple actually were, like, not, like, big movies, mm. but I think, like, were relatively popular. But then he started doing a myriad of straight to video Ernest movies. There's, like, ten of them. There's uh, Ernest in Jail, Ernest Scares Stupid, Ernest Save Christmas... There's a lot of damn Ernest movies for sure. They're all pretty good though. So why are you le- why are you letting Ernest save the world? What what happened to you? Why aren't you saving the world right now? Got other things to do. So like this podcast. So we can save the world with a podcast. You think so? Probably not. But that's besides the point. You remember the movie Mars Attacks? <laughs> yeah. At the end, the way they got rid of the aliens was they played this one annoying song over the speakers, and the sound of the song was so so terrible that it made the aliens self-combust and their heads exploded. Now, what if we take that? But instead of playing that song, they played our podcast over the airwaves and thus eliminating all cancers and aliens and all bad things in the world. They all explode from hearing our podcast. What do you you just said our podcast was so shitty that aliens' heads would explode from the mere feeling of our vibrations going through their body into their ear holes to touch their little ear hairs that create sound in our heads. Well, it didn't sound that bad in my head until you just put it out there in the world like that. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I don't want all that to happen. I mean, I was just thinking maybe our podcast can serve a greater purpose. That's all. Oh, gosh, dang it. Anyways. Let's get back to this before we go on another tangent. This is another tangent. This is our, like our M. Night Shalahem tangent last week. So the uh, We're doing Black Christmas because obviously it's Christmas season. We did Santa's Sleigh, which is the ultimate Christmas B-movie. Black Christmas, I would say, is a more of a traditional horror movie. But I got to put it up there with like, you know, during Christmas time, this is a good movie to watch during Christmas. It has a Christmas feel to it. I know it's not going to be all family friendly like Home Alone or the Santa Claus or Jingle All the Way. What are you you talking about? It's very family friendly. There's not that much gore. Um, Well, this was the 70s, not the 80s. So uh, Halloween didn't have a nudity either. The first one that was 70s. The 70s had class. They had integrity. They weren't about just the shock, the shock gore, the shock nudity that the, the 80s would become synonymous for with all those terrible slasher movies that substituted nudity and gore for story and good characters and well-developed plots so this being the 70s you get less of that stuff and more of the good stuff 
Now that said, this being a B-movie podcast, most of the time we're going to be talking about the other stuff. Today, because it's Christmas Eve, we decided to go with something a little more classier. Maybe a, a B-plus movie for once. Uh, and if no one's picked it up by now, we were watching a 1974 film, not the 2006, and definitely, definitely not the 2019. Anyone suggest we watch that? Jump in a hole. And a hole that has... A damn Tremors monster in the hole waiting to devour you alive. Nah, because we need we needed it more painful than that. Alright, what if the mini snakes come out though? Instead of devouring them, they slowly eat off your foot, and then they make their way up your leg into your groin area, and then the snakes grab the groin area, and you know what I'm talking about in that area, and snatch it off. How about that? I'll take it. Alright. That sounds right. better. Well, you know, I hate remakes already, so now you're talking about a second remake. So there's two remakes of Black Christmas. Now, I'm, there's I'm, two of them. There is. Who, who the hell be, thought this was a good idea? And to be fair, I don't mind the 2006 because it was somewhat the same, but also different to the point where it's n- literally not just a 100%, I like this movie, so I'm going to pretty much remaster it. It was respectable. Exactly. It wasn't in the bottom half of remakes. It was in the upper tier, we'll say. Right. And the 2019 <laughs> one, just terrible. Uh, let's first it's PG 13. Oh my God. So you don't even see shit. What is that trend of horror movies now being PG 13? They want a younger audience to watch it, but you can't do that with a slasher. No. The closest thing they get, you get to a PG 13 slasher nowadays. Uh, that's actually even watchable would be the first urban legend movie. And that was still rated R because of language. But notice I, how toned down it was when it comes to the actual kills. I don't mind PG 13 if that. If you're basically taking away the gore, as you said, the taking away the gore nudity, and you're adding in a shitload of suspense and good characters, mm-hmm. and you're spending time with things. But we get horror movies that have neither. That we don't have the gore and the nudity. We don't have the good stuff. We don't have good characters, good writing. So we're not getting we're getting the worst of both worlds, basically. Exactly. And to be honest with you, this Black Christmas, which was rated R for uh, 1974, would probably be PG-13 now. Absolutely. The only thing I can think of is language. Uh, and there really wasn't that, even that much of it, except for maybe the den mother. Back then, it was a little bit of a shorter hook for language, so right. a couple of bad things could get you R rating. So now you have a much bigger leash on that, I think. So probably could be probably play on the CW right now. So honestly, right, so. and with with no censorship, minus again as you brought up language. Yeah. So yeah, 1974. So what's known about Black Christmas, just to give it some historical context, is that most people, especially horror heads, horror fans, consider it to be the first real slasher movie ever. Now, you have Psycho, which was 1960, but Psycho is really not a slasher. It's more of a psychological thriller. Mm. You do have the one scene where the guys, obviously Norman Bates is stabbing the girl in the shower, but it's really not a slasher movie and it doesn't have any slasher tropes. This movie, Black Christmas though, watching it now in 2020, you can see where like 90% of slashers in the last 30, 40 years have borrowed something from Black Christmas. You can see how influential it is, like how all the, the tropes came from this damn movie. Mm-hmm. Even Especially more so like than Halloween. The, so. the phone call ones, which I even mentioned, Scream definitely took from that. Scream took it. Um, uh, when a Stranger Calls was when practically a rip-off. The fact that it's called Black Christmas, and then the next big horror movie after this was Halloween. Mm-hmm. So you have the, the holiday setting. Which, I, which uh, John Carpenter, I think, has said that he really enjoyed Black Christmas and wanted to make a, ho- a horror-themed uh, holiday also, but because Halloween was the was the next one coming up when he decided to make this, as good as Halloween is, and we'll talk about it. Halloween borrows a lot from this movie, also. Mm-hmm. You can tell the direct influence. So, I feel like watching this today it was felt like I was watching it for the first time because I didn't remember a damn thing about the movie. 
I knew in my head I had seen it back in the day, but it had been so long, it felt like a fresh viewing. So I'm almost coming to it as like a, a new viewer, basically. Same. I mean, I, I swear the last time I watched it was actually with you back when I was in high school. And I don't remember that, but maybe it happened. So. I mean, granted, that was, what, 10-plus years ago at that point? So what's that to me just watching it, first thing, opening credits, you see the name John Saxon. You're like, holy shit, John <laughs> Saxon from Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street, he was in Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. He's a renowned actor. Mm-hmm. Really well. And, uh, and actually what's bad is I watched a video that stated uh, John Saxon's career was actually ru- somewhat ruined because of this movie because then they typecasted him after this movie as being pretty much a hardened cop in horror movies. Well, he played the exact same role in Nightmare on Elm Street that he plays there. Well, sort of. And at least with this one, he actually was more, he believed the characters more. Nightmare on Elm Street, he was more like... Skeptical hippo. Exactly. Of his own daughter, also. Exactly. <laughs> Imagine that you're not... Granted... You're not suspect of, like, just random teens. Your daughter's telling you this, and you're still skeptical. Not to... Granted, at the same time, you're all... She is telling you a dream demon is pretty much trying to kill her, and I'd be like... Hey, look, nine times out of ten, that'd be complete bullshit. But in this case, she was telling the <laughs> truth. It was a dream demon killing her and her friends. Right, but still, it just... It sounded more like... I liked how they did it in that one, but we'll get to that one. Yeah, I don't want to be too far on Nightmare on Elm Street. So, John Saxon being in this, that stood out to me first. Credit-wise, the rest of the actors, no name really stood out. I didn't know any of the actors. Now, the movie opens with, really, we got the classic POV view. Well, I mean, it wasn't really classic back then, but we got a POV view of how the killer actually gets inside the house, which I don't think I've ever seen that ever done. Yeah, the movie could have easily took a shortcut and just cut to the killer being in the house. Right. Well, we see the killer approach the house. We see him looking for a way in. We see him strategizing. That's actually while we're also detailed. slow, very slowly getting to know the characters. That's going to be a part of the movie, and the fact that they seem to live in the damn house from Home Alone. So <laughs> maybe not the house from Home Alone, but that is a big ass house they're in. That was a beautiful ass house. Yeah, all the Christmas decorations, Christmas lights, Christmas. Can me take those down? I'd still buy that damn house right now. Just seeing that house establish the Christmas Christmas atmosphere for me. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, this is Christmas. And the environment, the atmosphere establishes Christmas right away, which is awesome. Oh, yeah. And a sinister Christmas, though. <laughs> right. And then as the killer gets inside, he comes across a phone, which apparently, according to the story, this isn't the first time this man is called. Mm. But from the sounds of it, this may be the first time he's actually spoken to them. Because when, they, when he first calls them, the girl's like, hey, guys, it's the moaner again. So he's been calling them... But the nature of the calls has changed or developed over time. And throughout the movie, continues to develop what he says on the phone. Right. And if y'all pay, and make sure everyone pays attention when y'all watch this, pay attention to what he's saying because that gives the, that's the only clues you get to the killer's backstory throughout this movie. Yeah. So we established basically this is a, a sorority house. Sorority house. Uh, basically, yeah, it's pretty much a sister house. To another fraternity that's on the same camp, that's on the campus. Yeah. And again, we're just pretty much getting to know some of the characters. We meet Barb, we meet Claire, uh, you meet Jess, who's our final girl. Who has a beautiful accent. Oh, yes. I mean, she was a beautiful woman to begin with. She's attractive, she has a nice accent. Uh, Granted, to be honest, all of them were beautiful women, attractive. I was going to ask you, did you notice, uh, were there any blondes in this movie? It was all brunettes, wasn't it? Yeah. I think you would have liked the 70s a lot more than the 80s. Because <laughs> this clearly has none of the 80s tropes that we we obviously went through the whole Friday 30 series and saw all those tropes right in front of our faces. But right. yeah, there was no, no blondes there. And then the thing you notice immediately about these um, 
these characters that they feel like real people. They're mm-hmm. having real conversations. I mean, they're still, in a sense, character characters. You know what I'm trying to say. But I disagree. I don't think they're caricatures. There, thank you. Caricatures implies a parody of characters almost. Well, to be honest, they're, they're, well, think about it. You they get, have their types, but they're real people. But still, you get your mean girl, Barb. Well, she's mean, an asshole. Yeah, she get, you get your mean girl. You get your innocent one in Claire. You get Jess, who's really more in the middle. Yeah, she's not on the... She's more... She pretty much, if you're playing a RPG, she's your center. She's pretty much the character you want to play as because she's both speed and power. This predates Halloween, but Halloween established Laurie Strode as like the trope of basically the most innocent girl is the final girl. And I don't think Jess is that. She's No, we, we find out uh, later on that she's not as innocent. She Yeah, oh, she's well, a nice girl. Yeah. She's But here's the thing. She has a boyfriend. They've been having sex. So this, the have sex and die trope clearly is Does not, not, not yeah. here back then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Barbara's an asshole. She has a line... Can't rape a townie. That's funny. I wrote it down too. <laughs> what the hell does was, that mean? I was, so I was gonna. Be, I, I literally I paused the movie and I said about something. I said, "What the hell does that mean?" Seriously? And I was like, I was like trying to figure it out, and I was like, I still don't know what the hell it means. Seriously. So what I did when I first heard this. Now my wife usually she watches these movies with me. This time she was at work. We didn't because we, I had to make brownies. She had to make cookies. We didn't have time. For both of us to sit down and watch it. So I just sat down. It's free on YouTube with ads. Have fun. It, the, the problem I have with it is I'm sitting there watching it. And of course, Claire's saying that's not cool to and to pretty much threaten the kill this man. Because we don't know what he's capable of. Especially since he's literally talking about raping these girls. Well, yeah. So one thing I want to ask about too is like, so that first phone call we hear, the voice on the phone initially comes off as more of like a creepy sex offender rapist type it's, right because because uh, you know it, it's not scary at first it's like whoa this is like creepy right you're trying they're trying to establish that this is someone we need to be looking out for yeah but they react not like um it's not like scream where it's like i want to b- slice your insides out mm-hmm. it's like uh, you know just some rapist type shit exactly <laughs> i don't want to what he said but some shit though exactly um, so then and then all of a sudden you know they bring up Towns girl has disappeared, has been kidnapped, reported to be kidnapped. And that's when Barb says, come on, Claire, you can't rape a townie. And she says it not like in a fun, joking way. No. She says it matter of fact. Yeah, and that's when I also had to pause this movie. I've never heard this before. I typed it in and nothing came up except for this damn movie. But um, anyway, so then after that, Claire goes off. She's packing because she's about ready to leave town. Barb's mother said that uh, she's going skiing. Barb's like, well, am I getting to come with you? And then she offers the entire house. There you go. But the thing, but then Claire denies it because she's already planning on going back home with her parents. Yes. Which... Because Claire's the nice girl. Exactly. So. so so here we are. She's getting ready to get packed. She sees a kitty cat. She which we an innocent little kitty which, cat. Which uh, we also find out that the killer seems to be... One, he has to be a sociopath with how he's able to throw his voice the way he does. I think either that or a very good stand-up comedian. Because he's doing impersonations alike of likes of which... Only the best comedians in the world can do. Right. And if this, if this killing teenage girls things doesn't work out for him, I think he has a future career in stand-up comedy. I'm just going to say it right now. He might want to refine some of his jokes, though. Um, anyway. They wouldn't fit in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> you can't put that on Comedy Central. Right. right but uh, anyway, so she goes up to the closet when we get our first kill. And I, I don't know. Was this supposed to be a jump scare? Him I wrapping don't... the plastic around her face? So... 
This is what I say also when I mean that this movie establishes tropes, but it's establishing them. So one thing is she's in the room and she hears a voice and first she's like, okay, is that the cat? But then she's like, just, she keeps saying, who is that? Who is that? You know, someone's there. You just keep walking towards it saying, who is that? Who is that? And it's not like a jump scare because... I mean, we did see she him She just there walks anyway. there and he just jumps out and gets her. I mean, to be honest with you, we did see him as she's walk, as she turns around walking yeah. the pile of clothes. You see, first you see what looks like his face, but you don't really know anyone's there until you see his hand kind of push up against plastic. Yeah, and we know he's there. She doesn't know, but there's no... One thing this movie does not do, which I appreciate, is that there's no... There's not too many false scares. This movie's basically like, okay, it plays on the fact that we know she's in trouble, but the character doesn't know. So the, the terror is still there because the character is scared and doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And that's enough to actually get us invested and be like, okay, I know he's in the closet, but maybe she'll at the last second to walk out the room or something. Especially but. since we've established she's a uh, she is a nice character. Where, uh, honestly, I guarantee you, a lot of people expected her to be the main character with uh, her interaction with Barb in the beginning. Well, this comes to mind why I told my uh, ex-girlfriend once back who was not into horror movies at all and asked me once what was the purpose of horror movies like why does anybody watch them and i had two answers the first thing was like well it's a way to it's like going on a roller coaster you get kind of adrenaline rush thrills but you're not actually in danger less so the roller coaster you're actually really not in physical danger but you still get to be scared and stuff right but the second point which applies here was i was like well if you watch a lot of horror movies you know your brain gets prepped for certain things then if you end up in a horror movie situation you're a little bit better prepared to handle it than if you hadn't seen horror movies for example if you've seen all the Friday 30 movies you've seen a bunch of 80 slash movies you go camping you know when you're sitting by the campfire here you hear something in the woods maybe the innocent person has seen horror movies is like oh let's go investigate but you're like whoa whoa i've seen this in a bunch of horror movies i think we should maybe not split up and go walk in the woods basically you're better prepared to handle situations if they actually happen to you someone like claire who clearly is living in a bubble probably a sheltered life lovely parents upper middle class upbringing yeah she hears a, a, a sound in the closet she's just like ah who's there who is that she's not well prepared to handle this situation and we find out she really wasn't because she didn't put up that much of a fight either she probably until the second she died thought that someone was just joking with her and was gonna let her up not with the terror on her face <laughs> well yeah in the last couple of seconds she was like wait a minute i really can't breathe all right but i feel bad for her because she dies and everyone it's, it's sort of an off-screen death actually well yeah but then you get everyone downstairs making so much noise so if she even thought about banging on the ground or anything no one would have heard it to I begin mean, with I mean, they're downstairs watching uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas rally, so they don't... But the point is, too, is also they keep... They show her dead body, and then she's, like, rocking in a, a chair or whatever like that, and they got the thing over her face that she was suffocated in, and you can see her face, though, still, like, um, mouth wide open, scared to death, he said, but just showing, their, showing her dead body creeped me out and got me feeling a certain way because, yeah, you know, in the, in the slasher movies, they don't give enough to basically... It's always cheesy when they show the dead body. Mm. Like, it's... Like Jason hung a body from a tree or some cheesy shit. Some this, some fun for the audience. Yeah, this was just like, oh man, I don't want to. I don't want to see her dead like that. Like her facial expression and her just sitting there. And they keep cutting back that throughout the movie. And it's like, in a way, it's like a, it's scarier than a jump scare because it's just like, oh, and not only that, Claire. but he also plays with the body, which is even. 
weirder again we only get povs of this guy that and every single time we are literally seeing his view of him pretty much just playing with the body so it's just, the movie's trying to make us put the killer at that point plays with the body he looks out the window i like to think he has some board games something up in the attic to keep him keep him entertained waiting for the next victim he's in there for a long time i got some questions about hey does he got some cheetos up there some snacks some food some water he's in that that's attic probably why he keeps the girl he's probably eating her for all we know well, it's got to be from her toes up then because we see her upper body's right. ma- maintained. But I mean, yeah, I think between the prank calls, the calls, I think he was calling Domino's Pizza and be like, listen, can you can you get into the attic without somehow? <laughs> can you can you climb a ladder to the top with what the pizza? What is you and Domino's? I mean, I could say Papa John's, but Domino's is more affordable, better prices. <laughs> Maybe not as good, but not far off. I've been us. doing Pizza Hut lately. I did the pan pizza. It was good, but expensive as shit. And I can never oh, do it again. Oh, from Domino's? No, no, from Pizza Hut. Oh. No, Domino's has a pretty good pan pizza, too. Yeah, but they only have a medium size. Oh, yeah. What can you do with a medium pizza? Well, you're supposed to eat it. Yeah, one person can eat medium. But if you have... <laughs> Uh, the, one of the purposes of pizza is that you're supposed to be able to serve at least two, three people with a pizza. One medium pizza doesn't get it done. Yeah. Anyways, I'm just wondering. The dude's up in the attic the whole movie. Like, is can we get him? Can someone bring him a glass of water or something? A, well, it was a small town. Was there even a Domino's? I don't know. It's probably, it probably is something like local. The like search a, party was probably the entire town. It's probably a local spot called like Ramona's or something like that. <laughs> anyway, uh, so you know. another thing we find out throughout this whole opening scene because it's not even christmas day yet it's still christmas eve at this point so the next thing is we find out that sorority mother she hides her liquors so many damn places bibles she hid one in the damn toilet bowl you see that there was a rat there too yes (laughs) yo she is a raging alcoholic in this movie she's hilarious though her character alone so i'm already like liking the female character the team characters because they seem realistic But she adds a whole... You just like that they were beautiful. No, the only one that I thought was really attractive was the main girl. They definitely wanted to make sure... What what, what was it some directors say? They don't want models. They want somewhat attractive girls. Well, every director of all the Friday 30 movies definitely ignored that. (laughs) They definitely didn't get hired on based on their acting ability in those movies. Oh, right. Or any 80 slash movie for the most part. (laughs) But the, uh, yeah, the alcoholic old lady... Fun character, Duggar. Especially when, with the father of Claire. When the father of Claire comes around, again, this is like um, the minor details that elevates us beyond most slashers. I like that the father is suspect already about where his daughter is. Suspect about where his daughter is. He's also in a good majority of the movie itself as well. Yeah, and also he's not the, he's the father of daughter, but he's like heavily involved with everything because he's even if his daughter is gone, it's like he wants to know everything that's going on in the entire situation, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think that's realistic. All these times we see these faces, characters die in slasher movies, you never get the reaction of the parents and, right. and the, like, the family life. And to, stuff, be, so. to be honest, I kind of wish the father was somehow a part of the ending. Like maybe he goes into the house and possibly saves the main girl, but dies in the process. But Would have been nice redemption for, for there, him, for sure. I there's mean, still a few. There is actually a few things in this movie I would have liked to see, but we didn't get. Yeah, but, but at the same that. time, you know, it's still it was still a well executed movie at the end of the day. This movie's not here to give one of the benefits of being from the seventies and not like tropes like that. With tropes, you get like a lot of um, fan service in these movies mm. where they're like, oh, the, the people are gonna love this scene so much. This movie has nothing where it's like, oh yeah, the audience is gonna love this. It's just doing its own thing and how you react is how you react. So there's no fan service. Well, but, even even if fan service was the thing at that time, this movie was not going. For, no, not at all. They wanted you to be uncomfortable. It, it was literally. They wanted you to feel the same 
uncomfortableness about almost any other like how a horror movie should probably make you feel especially like maybe movies like last house on the left a lot of people were so uncomfortable that they banned that damn movie well there's (laughs) there's something about he's in the house the whole movie Mm -hmm. so it's like really any scene they're in the house theoretically they're not safe so there's always this like underlying feeling of dread there but yeah claire's dad and um the uh what's 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 the alcoholic woman's name though i don't know what her name is but i i just call her sorority mother or den mother sorority mother basically we'll just say that they're like they they do a good job there of um adding a little bit of comedic relief Mm -hmm. but not over the top right especially like when the father first steps into the building he's sitting there talking to her and she's sitting there holding her hand over her thing because she found out the father really originally expected this place to be respectable in his eyes i love it it's so realistic he's like he's like i didn't send my daughter here to pick up boys and do drugs and stuff like that it's like which it's which is another thing is that must be a shitty way to meet your daughter's boyfriend yes (laughs) awkward awkward very awkward oh but and then here comes the big revelation of Jess to Peter that she is now pregnant. Peter is a he's a musical something. He's a musical student. And he's been that for seven years, apparently he says. Well, I mean, obviously he sucks at it. <laughs> well <laughs> um, well that he's planning a, a career in that, so I mean Hopefully, seven years worth of work has got him to a place where he's a professional, but maybe not. Well, actually, they did. Uh, what I saw was she went up to him and said, as they were talking, she finally comes out and says, I'm pregnant. He gets all happy and excited. He's like, oh, we're going to have a kid. And she goes, yeah, I'm getting an abortion. And you wow. can just see his face just drop. Like, I'm now I. The greatest news ever to what the hell is going on? Precisely. And to be honest, until. We 100% find out her reasoning behind it. I was honestly like, well, are you at least going to talk to the guy? She basically made up her mind. And I think the disconnect was that she thought he was going to be on board right away with the idea of an abortion. I think, and knowing we find out later in the movie, I think that when she tells him this, he's to me like, wow. I think he's like so in love with her that he's like, wow, or, this secures me and her for the long term. Or the another thing is... He's trying to trap her. So. <laughs> this guy is, uh, yeah, he, this guy can be pretty controlling because when she went to tell him, she was extremely nervous about it to be, to be honest with you. Yeah. And it felt, and honestly, every single time they were together, it just felt extremely awkward even before, even the conversation before her telling him she was pregnant. Well, they never make a joint decision. They both come into each thing with They're their own. mind made up. And then like, I'm just going to have this person react to me versus us having a discussion about it. Right. And in my opinion, she, I, I'm completely fine with her decision, especially after we find out exactly why. But at the same time, the fact that she just lays it out there, he even goes, well, can we at least talk about this? And she goes, nope, made up my mind. I was like, well, considering the fact that this is my kid and you're not telling me what's going on. That could have been kind of two scenes. It was a lot for one scene. Right. But again, um, again, this is why this is not a typical slash movie. The fact that we're dealing with this storyline, which is pretty serious. This could be the, this could be the main storyline in an actual dramatic movie. Mm-hmm. It's a nice character building thing. And I always think back to the dumbass Friday 30 part three, where, you know, the girl Kaji mentions that she's pregnant and then we never hear about it again. But I thought that was um, a good character. Like I said, these are actually real people there. Yeah. They're about to go through some shit, but they got real issues going on in their day to day life, basically. Well, correction. So. She's about to go through some shit. He's uh, just yeah, he's a about mental to, breakdown. No, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not giving away the end of He's about to go to some shit too, but we'll get but to that. But anyway, <laughs> so now we get the second call, and this is actually the start of pretty much getting uh, the killer's backstory. Now you're hearing, instead of just the killer's voice, you're hearing two voices, and all, and all I could make out really was 
the words Billy and Agnes. Let's just call the killer Billy. We might as well call, call him Billy. I think that's what that's what his most name. people call him is Billy. Yeah. Yeah, clearly we're dealing with somebody who's mentally not there. Schizo, schizophrenic, maybe... Um, most likely broke out of a uh, mental institution that we don't know about. Even maybe has Tourette's. So there's a lot of stuff going on See, here. that's another thing I love about this movie. You don't... Besides the small backstory of you piece together the phone calls, you don't know anything about the killer. You don't ever even see his face throughout the whole movie. If we think about the backstory... We know he's been calling, right? Mm -hmm. So he's been calling, been calling, building it up, building it up. And he's finally like, you know what? I'm actually going to go hide in the house. You could have prequelized basically just him calling and thinking about it. But I like the movie starts right there. But you can imagine like for months or weeks prior to this, he's been like playing this out and making the calls. And finally was like, I got to get to the house. But it also seems like he did not ever actually say anything until now. Because like I said, the girl called him the motor. motor. Yeah. So it tells us that he has never said a single word until now. It's so funny. Like, literally, like, the day before, I was watching When a Stranger Calls. <laughs> and, man, they take so much of that from this movie. Both the phone call, the obscene phone calls, and then, of course, the biggest thing is the killer in the house. The killer in the house thing, though, that was also, like, um, that's that's like the ultimate urban legend. Right. That's the whole babysitter urban legend, basically. Mm-hmm. And you got to wonder, like, does that predate this, or is this establish that because they're kind of in the same mold i think most likely the story came first and their author pretty much just liked the story so much he decided to make a whole story because also think about how terrifying that would be finding out that there's someone in your house that's not supposed to be there oh shit absolutely yeah especially in the days without and the days back then without caller id and without Mm. a phone call really was some mysterious shit because you couldn't just look at your phone and be like Oh, yeah, yeah. Bobby down the street. Yeah, yeah, I got your mother. Like, yeah. You know, fun fact on that. You know, after the movie Scream came out, like, before Scream, it was something like 20% of U.S. households had caller ID on their phones. Within a year after the movie came out, it was up to 65% of households had caller ID. Well, think about that. That movie inspired everybody to be like, yo, I got to know who's calling my house. (laughs) (laughs) And I could see why. Right, but one thing... I will say about When a Stranger Calls, because I've only seen the remake. One thing I will say is uh, Lance and Rickson in the remake does a pretty good voice, which is funny because mm-hmm. it's Tommy Flanagan who plays the physical killer, but yeah. it's Lance and Rickson's voice. You know, you guys see the original because one thing is like the original, the the whole remake is basically the first 10 minutes of the original. The first 10 minutes of the original is, is the girl in the house, basically. But that ends, and then we cut like five years later, and it's like a whole different story. So it's very interesting. Um so yeah, so so far in this movie right now, we have really a slow build. You have death scenes, but they're very spaced out. They're not one after the other. The movie's really not showcasing death scenes in a way where it'll take like it wants to visually show you death scenes. It's just mm-hmm. like a part of this is to advance the story, which is awesome. Slow build, a lot of dread. Digging it so far. Next scene we'd be at is Peter pretty much really badly playing the piano. Well, this goes back to our theory. Does he just suck at his thing that he's been doing for seven years? He sucks at it. He's supposed that to, after, after 10,000 hours, you're supposed to be a master. That or maybe because he uh, got the news about, uh, about Jess, maybe he just got nervous, got pissed off over the whole thing. So then just started banging on the damn piano because at first it sounded okay. And then all of a sudden it just turned to something chaotic. Yes. Which kind of is a progression of this char- of the characters of this character throughout the movie. How he goes from being completely calm to all of a sudden a chaotic individual. Yeah, and and let's talk about the um, the marriage proposal. 
<laughs> what proposal? Um, if we'll want to call it that, basically. It, it, we're getting married. Well, no. First, I'm I'm quitting my my lifelong pursuit to be a musician, and we're getting married. Now, maybe what I'm thinking about now is he brought up. Maybe he realized that he's not gonna make it as a musician, <laughs> and this was Plan B. Was like, hey, I'm not I'm not good enough to do this, so I can at least marry this girl and have a kid with her. Maybe that was in his mind, but. She puts the kibosh on that pretty quickly with like, hey, you know, you have your plans to be a musician. I have my plans. We can't do it. And he actually, he won't let it go. He's like, hey, whatever you want to do with your life, you can do it while we're married. Nothing's going to change. So she flat out has to come out and really lay the smack down and say straight up, I don't want to marry you. And I think his, his whole world sinks from his face as she says that. Everything he's been dreaming about and thinking about just completely starts to slip away from his whole his whole life basically. which i'll definitely say about this movie is there's imagine, times imagine a girl you love telling you that i don't want to marry you. There's, there's times i would have been like uh you mean you mean this year <laughs> no there's times in this movie where you can tell these actors and actresses are not like are not accustomed to being acting because there's some scenes where you can tell they're not used to acting then there's scenes where they knock it out of the park like with peter getting that news yeah you could see in his face the dread just going down his whole plan and if you go with my theory that hey he doesn't think he doesn't think too much of his prospects to actually become a successful musician so this was his thing that he had on the side was like hey that doesn't work out i still have the girl but i think that sends a message to him like hey like she doesn't want to be with me long term <laughs> and i think they don't come out and say it but to me like that's almost like the That's end of the relationship. Yeah, the minute any... Like, if I asked my wife to marry me, if she said I don't want to marry you, be like, well, then have a good day. I'm going to find me another woman. Yeah, because she I'm said... I'm not about to continue the relationship. She said two things. She said, I don't want to have a kid with you. I don't want to marry you. And she kind of flat out said, like, you have your musician thing. I have my things I want to do. Just her saying that laid it out, like, we have different futures. Like, so I think that uh, Which, probably um, as he now starts to become our main suspect um, from the character's perspective. You can see where, hey, maybe this drives him over the edge, but the murders have already been happening. Right. We so. already had, I don't know, has the, did the sorority mother die before he got that news or? Either way, well, um, well, one yeah. murder has happened before. Well, we know Claire's been killed. Yeah. My, um, my, the point is from her perspective, she can come up with a motive for him mm -hmm. in her mind. If someone's like, Peter's trying to kill me, she can be like, oh, I did just crush all his hopes and dreams and <laughs> I won't have his baby. Maybe he is trying to kill me. She can now justify that in her mind when it's brought to her that he's the suspect, which they tell her like, Hey, that's, that's her suspect. So now also, I just gotta say something. Uh, the cop Nash, be really before we meet John Saxon, the first cop we meet Nash, he's one, he's an asshole. Yep. Two, he's an idiot. Yep. Like, why would you on a daily basis, Sit there, of course, ask a girl, okay, what's your phone number so we can reach you? And, and Barb literally goes, fellatia. <laughs> and he literally takes it as true. You're taking a drunk woman, because she's been drinking. Yep. She, what we find out about Barb later is she is guilty about what about Claire missing. She feels like she drove Claire almost over the edge to either be dead or ran away. She does. So, so the fact that you're asking, but still, you're a cop. You can tell that this woman has been drinking. She is drunk. She's slurring her words already. She was drinking. She literally gave a kid alcohol. You know, you would prefer someone to be a competent asshole, but <laughs> nothing worse than an asshole is also an idiot, too. Oh and, my and, 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 you know, it, this didn't start the trope, but 
it continues the trend of there's always a useless cop in every horror movie who does nothing to help and only actually serves to make things worse. Right, because, I mean, the entire movie, until we finally meet John Saxon's, uh, the entire movie, we have to deal with this cop who takes everything at literally salt. Because I'm guessing he gets this a lot. He gets pranks a lot. But most pranksters do not come into the get the police station with worry on their faces and actual urgency to be like, hey, this person's missing. We need a missing person's report. Yeah. Like now. Yeah. And, and-, and we have basically, we have... <laughs> Essentially, the the entire town is basically getting in on the search party and mm. looking for Claire, and everybody's involved now, and Jess is involved, and that's when we get our second kill. So the the alcoholic sister, mother, whatever we want to call sorority her, sorority mother. mother. You know, <laughs> sometimes in horror movies, and this happens a lot, is you know you just stayed too long. Right. You were this close to getting away. This goes back to even we were talking about Sarah Michelle Gellar and I don't know what last summer. Sometimes you're this close to your freedom and it just doesn't work out. In this case, literally, the cab driver's outside waiting for her. Honking his horn. Honking his horn. She's packing her bags. She's good to go. She's walking out the house. Meow. Here's the damn cat. Yep. Here's, and what's bad is that's not even her cat she's hearing. That is Billy. Yeah. Billy is meowing at her. Now, listen. Your cab driver's outside. Your, your bags are packed. You got to look for that cat, though. You can't leave. Ah, no man. pussy left behind, man. No, this is why I don't have an animal. Because <laughs> don't let me be attached to an animal to the point where I end up dying because <laughs> the killer's making a damn cat noise. I'm like, oh, my cat. But to be honest, this has to be in my, This has to be one of the better kill scenes, even though we don't, again, we don't see it except for the aftermath. Oh, wait, wait, okay. Here, here's the thing. She slowly makes her way up to the attic the whole time calling for the cat and whatever um <laughs> the way she dies this is some home alone booby trap shit <laughs> oh with the damn pulley hook this worked out way too perfect for billy all right well he meant for it to literally he was sitting there waiting he kept meowing at her she had to be in the exact right position she had to That's stay why he there didn't let it go right away okay wait wait she looking around the attic she sees claire's dead body she takes about two minutes to sit there and assess, allowing Billy to set up his little booby trap hook thing. She could have easy that whole time. It's like, oh, I'm out of here. <laughs> but she takes three minutes to be like, huh, hmm, hmm. Maybe I might be in trouble. Should I go down the stairs? Should I stay here? Should I turn around? Should I let the killer prepare and kill me right now? I'm going to go ahead and let the killer prepare and kill me right well, now. Well, he's already prepared. He just needs her to turn around so he can get it done. And she does the slow turnaround. He's like... You're on price. Well, he's like some game show host thing, and then boom. <laughs> the price is wrong. Go fuck yourself. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Billy, you out there? <laughs> I just heard some bang over there. Billy over there, like, how, why are you dissing my booby trap? You know, right. you know how much work I put in that? Right. I mean, it really is a booby trap. He called a woman. It's off screen, though. <laughs> The hook comes towards her, and we get the off screen, but we do get her like we do get her gagging da- to a point of like uncomfortableness, and we do eventually see the actual body just hanging there still, yeah, with the hook in her damn face. As Billy continues to set up his museum in the attic of dead bodies, which at this point does he have like a temper tantrum? He literally just starts throwing things, screaming, yelling. Yeah, he's mad because I think that everyone left. There's no there's no else in the house, yeah. yeah. And by the way, the thing that I wanted to bring up too was like again, with Billy, 
he wasn't like she could have walked out the house and left and got in the cab. He wasn't coming out of the act to kill her. Mm-mm. This is the most patient killer ever. Does he only? Does he have a plan? Is he only going to kill if you come to the attic? Uh-huh. He's not initiating these kills. Well, he didn't kill Claire in the attic. That was that was one where he clearly was like hiding uh, in the closet. I hell, get that. hell, but, but, I think but, for but the sorority mother, she was the only one who gets killed in the attic. Everyone else dies throughout the house. Yeah, but my point is though, she's in the house the entire time, and. He never comes out to kill her. And in fact, she could have easily left the house and just went about her business and got in the cab. Yeah, but push now it. he 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 lured her, he lured her in with the cat noises. Yeah, but she could have easily been like, ah, who needs the cat anyway? So so after that, we then get technically it's a death though. I don't know if you really want to count it if anyone does a kill count because we never see this character, we never see her die, we just only hear about her. But the, the search party finds the little girl. You know the way they filmed that. You know how what I thought happened? Because they filmed a way where they showed the dead bodies in the attic, right? And then they showed... You heard a scream, mm. and they cut to characters in the park who found the little girl. I thought they were looking inside the window and saw the dead bodies in the attic. Because they filmed that in a way where they made you actually think that. And then they had the father come, Claire's father come, and he looks, and he's like, oh my god! And then the mother comes, and same thing. I thought someone had looked in the attic and saw the dead bodies. They were looking down. No, but they could have been standing on a mountain. <laughs> or they're standing on the top of a hill. Oh, my gosh. The thing with the attic is they show from the outside of the house that Claire's dead body is very visible in the window. And then they choose to look up there. I thought they climbed up a hill. Who knows? But what I'm saying is that they filmed in a way where it looked like that's what happened. They were looking down. From a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> You look You're down just the trying to come up with reasons now. No, but look, I'm telling you, they filmed in a way where they made it not so obvious, I'm telling you. Go back and see how they filmed it. They cut from the bodies to somebody screaming and looking at. Mm. So, anyway. So, anyway, my, now we get the right? third... Climb Mount Everest, that's all Now we get the third phone call, which I pretty much have written down as pretty much pain, rasping, and screaming while the words, please stop, in a female voice. Now, to be honest, I thought that was, like, another character being killed. But to be honest, I think that was actually Billy with his little sister's voice as Billy's killing her. Yes. Billy has extreme voice manipulation. Oh, he can do a lot of things with his voice. That's why I brought him being a stand-up comedian because this dude can do cut to, like, he was almost like um, the um, the character in the movie Split, the, Sh- the Shallan movie, where he can just go in and out of different characters, it seems mm-hmm. like. So. Now... Uh, and there is another thing I needed to ask. Uh, we've already talked about the scene with Peter and Jess, but uh, how the fuck did Peter get inside the house? When she comes home, he's upstairs. Yeah, exactly. And he comes down, and he's this is like this is actually probably the uh, this is the marriage proposal, I think. Right. Okay. So, how did he get in the house? I don't know. I mean, I maybe maybe these are well. I was going to say, maybe there's a type of neighborhoods in back in the 70s where they left the door open. But seeing that there's a girl missing, she would think she would lock the door. Well, and another thing we forgot to establish is that door is broken. Yes. On two separate occasions, we see that the sorority mother cannot open the door from the outside. But that was no obstacle for Peter. Exactly. <laughs> so well, Was the back door unlocked? And also, why in the world are people leaving their fucking houses unlocked right now? I, I, Especially it, now that, well, granted, at this point, they don't know that they found the little girl dead. And, but and, and by the way, we'll we'll have to come back to this because Peter's in the house there, but later in the movie, he comes to the house and he has to get in by breaking a window and right. Room, so 
This is not going to add up later on, right? But okay, for this purpose, let's just say that they're super close that she gave him a key. <laughs> Sometimes a, a, a girlfriend will give the boyfriend the key to the and she sorority does, house. Yeah, but she didn't. If that was the case, which can, again, be understandable, she didn't take the key away from him. Why the hell did he have to break a window? No, I know. We're going to bring that up later. <laughs> that was my point. It's not going to make sense later on. But by the way, also, why is he creeping in the house like he came down all creepily? and? Well, he was what? just sleeping. He said he slept in her bed. Oh, my God. He didn't hear Billy up there doing cat calls and cat noises? Nope. I would have just... <laughs> they might as well just had a death scene and had Billy kill him right now. Right. But, yeah, I mean, listen, if I get that, but he still walked down the stairs before announcing himself. Right. That's just being a creep. Right? And now we're also getting the uh, fact that the civilians are making the connection that there's a girl missing and this house is getting harassing phone calls. Yeah, you know, it doesn't take a... You know, a geometry major to put this equation together, but but remember, everything was going to Nash anyway. Nash wasn't even giving it to John Saxon's character to put it together. Thank goodness we have John Saxon, <laughs> the voice of reason amongst the cops. Oh, the la- the guy who had in the credits, literally known as Laughing Cop, oh. the other detective in there, he seemed to have a better shot, a better chance of doing the job. Yeah, I agree. And so, I mean, granted, because he was, we only see him laughing what once with the fellatio joke that's true so because john saxon actually is a decent cop he's like hey they're getting obscene phone calls there's a girl missing there's something here that's worthy of an investigation because yes we could be driving down the streets giving pointless parking tickets and speeding tickets or we could figure out what's going on here Mm -hmm. and maybe we should start tracing phone calls which this movie goes into a lot of detail. Oh yeah, the process. This, this is probably the only movie I, at least I have seen, that goes into this process. I mean, they may have just needed it to pan the running time a little bit. Yeah, but think about, um, let's say in today's mm. 2020, right? Tracing a phone call. I mean, that's easy. Anyone can do it nowadays. You, you would, yeah, the phone company would probably just do it in like two minutes, right? What they showed this movie back then was like a very manual process of a guy in a factory, a phone factory or some shit, having to go and figure out this is uh, from this noise, from this one, from this one, from that one. Very manually do it. And I just thought it was cool that they showed him in. They didn't have to go to the detail of showing that they did. I thought that was very cool. And then somehow, for some reason, even though we were never introduced to this until now, Barb has asthma. Well, hey, I mean, listen, asthma is about 40% of the country. Oh, no, about 35% of the country are susceptible and victims of asthma. Um, and which, Barb, Barb happens to be one of them. Which is fine. But to be honest with you, when it first started happening, because of how much she actually had to drink, I thought she was fucking trying to tell Jess to roll her over because she was choking on her own vomit. Still, so, honestly, instead of just giving us that BS that she has asthma halfway through the movie, they should have just went ahead and did it with that because we see her drink so much that she has to pass out. But that said, um, Barbara's the character that we all got a feeling she's probably going to die and now we come to her death well, scene. Well, I mean, yeah, her <laughs> death scene, one, gets the most iconic shot in the whole movie with the killer of over her and you, all you see is just his eye while he's hang, holding the damn crystalline unicorn over his head. And she predicted this because she had a nightmare previously that kind of um, was maybe actually not a nightmare at all. Maybe yeah, she was probably just groggy and thought it was a nightmare but what she actually saw. And then the part that 
Now, Vic is very afraid of carolers. Oh, my God, yes. Is uh, The carolers are singing to Jess while Barb is being stabbed and screaming and Jess hears nothing. Yeah, this movie does a great job. I told you about the beginning how you have the Christmas decorations, but you also have the Christmas carols. And the caroling, I feel like for me, I was hearing the background of like multiple scenes in the movie. But in the case of Barbara's death, we get actual Christmas carolers, which again reminds you that, hey, this movie's called Black Christmas. All this just going down, but somewhere in the world during this movie, someone's having a holly jolly Christmas. Right. Just, just not these characters. Oh, no. Not, and definitely not Barbara. Yep. And then we get our fourth call, which kind of get knocks the suspect list down to really two. So basically at this point, the police are tracing the phone calls mm. and the first call they get, they try to trace it, but the problem is the call's not long enough and they can't do it. Nope, and we and really we only get one line, which is not a backstory line, but is a taunting line towards mm. Jess, pretty much stating something that Peter repeated to her earlier that day, which gives you one of two options. It's either Peter or it is somebody who's able to hear them. Yes. Which, to be honest, if it's the second one, you should probably be very freaking afraid. Very afraid. <laughs> the um, Peter's a suspect thing, it doesn't come as much surprise. Like, it doesn't really, when Jess is told about it, she's really not that thrown off or, like, emotionally conflicted. Mm. It feels like she's already mentally done with Peter. She's like, yeah, maybe he's the killer. <laughs> right. They could have done a better job of making her a little bit more sympathetic towards Peter. Well, to be, she seems to basically just shit on him for this movie. So. Well, to be honest with you, also, uh, when talking to John Saxon and he asked her, has he ever been with you during one of these phone calls? She goes, actually, yes, the very first one. That's true. Which then she actually looks relieved that it's not Peter with Phil saying, I mean, I never liked him anyway, but I couldn't see him ever harming a fly. Which we see to the about that piano that is a load of bogus. Uh, that guy's got a dark side. Oh, yeah. And he's so. and he, like I say, this entire movie, we see him just degenerate. Disintegrate into chaos. But they're still playing on the idea, which is fine, that we as the audience know that Peter's not the killer. Mm -hmm. But again, for the characters involved, it makes perfect sense that he's the killer. So we know something they don't know, and that's fine. It still, it doesn't in any way hurt the suspense of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, because we're still like, well, how's it going to play out? Is Peter going to get involved? Is he going to end up helping stop the killer? But then, you know, really, a lot of this, uh, a lot of the rest of the ending's pretty much touch and go, because next thing we get is Phil going in to check on Barb, and door shuts behind her. Most likely, presumably, dead, but we haven't seen her body yet. True. So, and then we finally get our fifth call. A lot of screaming, a lot of Agnes, a lot of Billy, pretty much putting together that Billy, it seems like Billy killed Agnes, and his mother keeps asking him, where is Agnes? I think Billy drank like four Mountain Dews before he made this phone call. I see him getting more and more caffeined up. I'm just guessing the secret sauce for him is caffeine because he clearly took a shot of Starbucks, espresso, something before he made this this, this fifth phone call. Right, because he was on that phone for what, two, three he minutes? He was going in. He was like, listen, I'm going to just tell you everything I feel about her. Right, and then we get our sho our shocking revelation. He's in the house. The revelation must, well, I guess we already know that he's in the house. The point is the trope of being in the house was so fresh and original back then because it's one thing to the killer's in the house, but he's actually making phone calls from the house. Right. And then we get our fourth confirmed kill. And again, right now, everything's pretty much balls to the wall, not really. Because um, this this climax, climax to the movie, still a slow burn. That's what I liked about it. it. never This movie decides to keep with suspense over picking up the pace. True. But then we get our... Now we have another death which is a cop that was originally sent to protect the girls and his throat is slit deep 
Now, when did Billy kill this cop, though? Because it's not, it's not like him to actually leave the damn house. Right. We never I see. think I'm with their eyes right now. He finally got so hungry, and he couldn't figure out where to get that delivery to the attic. He finally was like, I'm going to go out for a bite to eat. Went out for a bite to eat, and on the way back, saw the cop. was like, yeah, this guy's going to give me trouble later on. Slit the cop's throat. He went out for a bite to eat. I'm telling up there, rising right now. He went out for some pizza, some food, came back. Because I just don't see him proactively just leaving the attic for the purpose of killing the cop in the front. Well, how about we proactively try to figure out what in the world Jess was thinking when she fi- when the cop finally tells her that the killer's in the house. Well, let's talk about the cop telling her because <laughs> Ma, your boy Nash was given specific instructions to tell her, don't give her any information, just tell her to put the phone down and walk out the front door. So, and that man was stupid as shit. He's a dumb asshole. The fact that he, he started out with the right thing, he was like, just put the phone down, walk slowly to the front door. But she asks questions, he can't seem to handle it because he loses his shit. Right, he's like, like the cow's in the house, get out now, Ron, go! And I'm just sitting there like, are you kidding me? How did you become a cop? You would lose the chicken test. Yeah, so Nash goes from useless to now literally people going to die because of your being incompetent. Right, so she, you know, you mentioned this. She did something smart at first, and that's get to the door. She has the right intention. Go to the front door. Call out first. Barbara! Barbara, Phil, thank you. Uh, hope, and if she didn't hear anybody, she should have just went out the damn door. Well, listen, she's showing care for her friends because she's saying, hey, she's saying if something's in the house, I want to warn them. From her mind, Barbara's upstairs sleeping. She wants to wake Barbara up and warn her the problem is when you get no response from barbara or phil especially phil because phil is not a is not a heavy sleeper yeah we've already seen that in a in the scene where barbara is having a fit having an asthma attack it wakes up phil yes now you know that something's going on most likely her gut instinct is that they're dead you have two choices now you can walk out that front door or you can Find a fire poker and slowly walk upstairs and confront the killer? Survival instinct. Or survival instinct says... Front door or fire poker? Survival front instinct. door. Front door. The only time I would ever grab a fire poker is if the killer comes from the front... I open the front door and he's right there. I was like, oh, well, this ain't a good idea. <laughs> you find out the killer's now. The one advantage you have is she, looks, she immediately looks upstairs. You're pretty sure the killer's not downstairs with you. He's upstairs. So he has to get down the stairs. You're already at the front door. You have an advantage. By the way, the cops told you this, so obviously they're on the way to the house most likely. Mm-hmm. Even even Saxon says, I'll be there in five minutes. doesn't tell her, but he says, I'm going to be there in five minutes. Right. Survival instinct. By the way, you were a good friend. You called their names. You did what you could. They didn't answer. They're on their own. Exactly. She, they're deep sleeping through this. They're on their own. You know, you know what they say about the pirate's code in Pirates of the Caribbean, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> tell me. <laughs> when in doubt, run away. Yeah, the, the code literally is... If you're in trouble and your buddies are in trouble and you have a chance to get out and they don't, you leave because then you can fight another day and get revenge. So instead, she decides to be Sigourney Weaver or Linda Hamilton or all these badass girls from the 80s who would fight back. But you're in a horror movie and have you? And it ain't the 80s. You don't have no damn laser gun. This is the 70s and, and you don't know what to do with the fire poker. You're probably having a starter of fire in your life. So. Right. So now we get or finally we get confirmed that Phil did die. She's beaten to death, it looks like. Poor, and, poor Phil. Right. All she wanted to do was check on Barb. And poor, well, I want to say poor Barb, but she was a mean Remember, person. you can't rape a townie. She was a mean person. She, she, didn't, she didn't talk too much, so. Right. So... Now we get pretty much 
again, this is the climax. You're expect a lot of people, I'm sure, and same here. I was expecting to see who this killer was. Was it someone we knew or was it just a random person? But we never even get that. All we get is literally his eye. She hits him and then runs. Which again, all we hear from him is extremely loud noises. We hear his uh, heavy footsteps yeah. and we see his hand. We don't see anything else throughout the entire scene. One thing that's always true about horror movies is that when you show the monster, the monster is no longer scary. The more you reveal, the less scary it is. If Billy was one of the characters we already knew, the ending loses all. If it is Peter, there's no, there's no horror anymore. It's all like just not scary anymore. Yeah, it's pretty much just turned into a thriller at this point. Yeah, so any, any, when, when the killer takes off the mask and reveals who it is, it's always like, okay, the horror part of the movie's over now. They're going to explain their background, all this dumb stuff. This is a movie you don't get none of that. You get just straight. We're going to keep it moving. Billy's just Billy. You know the voice. You see the eyes, but you're not getting anything else. Yep, yeah, pretty much. And I think it was the right decision from the director's part. So. But then we get that whole suspenseful scene in the basement because you see somebody looking through the glass. And Jeho all you see is I just, was thinking Jehovah's Witness. Probably. I mean, they're always at the most inappropriate Right. Place, and yeah. all you see is the silhouette. You don't see any features. So Here's Santa Claus. Uh, nope, I, too skinny. Ho, ho, ho. I tried the chimney, but... <laughs> But there was some crazy guy named Billy stopping me. Hey, you're missing a fire poker. <laughs> yeah, I gotta give you a citation for that fire poker because it's not there. Where's my good friend Nash at? <sighs> yeah, so we have a mysterious person in the basement door. So. Which then we find out is Peter, who most likely was, like the entire movie, across the street this whole time, freezing his ass off, by the way. And then he finally he probably hears her screaming and decides, I'm going to find out what the hell's going on. Now we go back to how he was magically in the house earlier in the movie. Right. But now he's got to break windows and shit to get in. Now he's got to... Right of breaking and entering which again uh, may, does not put yourself in a good light this whole movie did not put peter in a good light i mean to be honest with you if he if he wasn't the killer he was going to eventually become a killer yeah the, he so we already established he's not a good character in the first place one thing is that when she did go upstairs and find um phil and barbara killer chases her downstairs tries the front door can't open the front door which is a horror trope now too mm. but as we said earlier they established that the front door was not all quite working properly except we found except it was also established that that door could actually open from the inside not really the outside so still weird that she couldn't open it from the inside right unless you know billy somehow locked the door beforehand she just didn't think to unlock it so well that's yeah maybe i mean we did they did show them locking all the windows and doors before phil decided to go to sleep so maybe she just forgot true well she either way she should have never went upstairs in the first place oh yeah so in the basement we got peter breaking in and walking towards her and and again he's just he he's, acting very, cre he's acting very creepy smile. yeah yeah creepy smile he sees the girl cowering and he's just like hey what's wrong babe and then we cut to the cops yeah so the way Peter was acting, for all we know, Peter came over there to kill her. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but he wasn't acting right. Oh, hell no. And you could tell she was starting. She already, in my mind, she was already done with him. But now she's like, hmm, I think he's the killer. Okay, I mean, at that point, she, I don't think she thought anything. She just saw somebody who's a lot bigger than her coming for her. Yeah. With a creepy-ass smile, sees her cowering, and doesn't even take the cue of, maybe I shouldn't be near her because she's got a fucking fire poker. So now we kind of cut to basically what's going to be one sort of sort of twist ending-ish. Um, Peter dead. The cops come, Peter dead, massacred basically, mm -hmm. and she's sleeping with the body sort of. 
Yep, bodies in his lap, which... I thought they were both dead, but then she wakes up. Oh, she never woke up. They they just found her. They I She's think still alive. She opens her eyes, though. And then went right back to sleep. Yeah. Basically, she's there, but she's not there. Yeah. She, she opened her eyes slightly to establish that she's alive, but then pretty she much the tra- Pretty much the uh, the whole event and the traumatic experience just took every the, all of her energy away. So they don't know what happened. Mm-mm, not yet. But they put they put together in their minds that... Peter was the killer. And that she killed him. Yep. Now, in my mind, first watching it, I thought what happened was that the killer came down from the attic wherever he was, killed Peter, but then for some reason left her alive um, because he wants someone to call later on. Mm. But the cops just immediately jump on. Peter's the killer. She killed him. Everything's okay now. Killer's dead. Peter's dead. So, And, and, and when the cops makes a line, he says, uh, I always knew it was, I had a feeling it was that kid. Right. So I just want to say I hate this ending for multiple reasons. So I'm completely fine that Billy is still alive. I'm fine with Billy getting away. What I'm not fine with is the shoddy police work that was done at the ending. This whole movie, John Saxon has been methodical, has been tactical about everything he's done to make Mm -hmm. sure that this case is solved. Yet, at the end, the girl's not waking up. Okay, why would you not put her on a gurney and have her escorted to the nearest hospital? Yes. Instead of leaving her in the house, that is a crime scene. And then you don't even do a full sweep of the house because there's still those two bodies in the attic where we find out is where Billy still is. Hey, look, those bodies may still be in the attic right now (laughs) in 2020 because they made it seem like no one's ever going to find those damn bodies. Right. So... It's interesting, you're right, because, yeah, would you keep her at the house, basically? The crime is solved, but not 100% solved, so you don't know for sure. And also, you don't exactly 100% know why she's unconscious. It could be, you know, the stress and everything just took her energy away. So she the, could have gotten so there a was, head injury. There was sort of a, a doctor-type person there, so he was, like, giving the diagnosis of she's going to be asleep for at least four hours, and then he's like, okay, well, her parents are coming. But he does say specifically, you know... I'll, someone says, I'll stay with her, basically, until the parents come. Right. So, yeah, a little bit odd, and for story purposes, I guess, she's sleeping in her bed. They assume that Peter was the killer. But then uh, the one dude passes out, and they got to get him to the hospital. So everybody apparently leaves, turns off all the lights in the house, mm-hmm. and they all roll out, basically, leaving her in the bed. I seriously hope they did not leave Nash to protect her, or she's fucked. Well, so I didn't even know... At this point, we don't know anybody's there. We know just, we hear everybody leave, leave the house, and then we do our POV shots now, you know, which is going to slowly take us from room to room, and then finally to the attic, where we hear the sounds of Billy up there playing chess with himself, whatever he's doing. Yeah, pretty much. And then we end, and then credits roll throughout the entirety of the phone ringing. Well, we see, now we see a cop on the porch. Yeah. So thank goodness for that, at least. They didn't all leave. They followed uh, Saxon's orders a little bit, and there was a cop there smoking a cigarette. But we hear the cop or we hear the phone ringing. And it's very open-ended. But my takeaway from the ending was that why I don't think Billy was going to kill her is because Billy wants someone in the house to answer his phone calls. His big thing, yes, he does like killing people on the side, but his main thing is the phone calls. That's his juice is the phone calls. So I think for him being in the attic, it's just like he's gonna keep he's gonna keep calling. So I think she's been alright because, you know, theoretically the cops are gonna go back in and answer the phone, and then like, all right, Billy, is that true? And then most likely, 
either the cop got her out or the cop's dead and Jess is dead. I don't see Billy attacking the cop. I, I, he's already attacked one. Yeah, but that dude was probably eating Dunkin' Donuts in his car, listening to the radio, and then got a surprise attack. But maybe, who knows? But either way, the point is, I think Billy... I don't think Billy wants to kill Jess. I think he wants to taunt her and call her. And as long as he can do that, then I think he's satisfied. Either way, the bottom line is, the killer got away, the killer's alive. Billy is probably in that attic right now, calling someone... I just hope that they found a way to get him some Domino's Pizza in the attic, though, because the man's going to need some food for an ongoing basis. So. Nah, he don't need no food. He's got corpses. He's a human being. Oh, that's true. Anyway, though, that is definitely Black Christmas, the, the good one. Quick fun fact. the movie was, This movie, uh, Black Christmas from 1974, directed by Bob Clark, who went on to direct the, Christmas, the actual Christmas classic, A Christmas Story. Same director that made Black Christmas made A Christmas Story. No wonder that movie was... Pretty you'll dark shoot your too. Eye. You'll shoot your eye out of that yeah, thing. Yeah, think about how many times they said they'll shoot your eye out. And the kid almost did shoot his eye out. But it goes to show that this was a good director because he went on to make a, a classic, classic movie. So. This is still a classic movie, in my opinion. I agree. But Christmas Story is like the ultimate Christmas classic. Although I don't think it warrants being played on channels 24 hours a day on Christmas. That just <laughs> makes the movie annoying. All right, let's get to our final overall thoughts. For me, having felt like I was watching for the first time as a, fir a first-time viewer almost, because it's been so long since I've seen it, I was just extremely impressed with the stuff you normally don't see in horror movies, which is smart, relatively smart characters, Nash, Nash aside. Smart characters, likable characters, realistic characters, realistic plotline. Um, a killer who never loses the mystery or never... They never, they never unmasked the monster to where the killer is no longer scary. Up until the last frame, he's still scary, still mysterious, unpredictable. Like, you would, after watching, you would you would hope there was a sequel so you could find out more. But then you're like, oh, there's no sequel. So now it's even more, more left as more mysterious. There's no sequel to even tarnish this at all. Um, all the tropes you get from horror movies now. Killer on the house, killer on the phone, slasher on a holiday, sorority girls, a group of girls being being stalked. All of that is like influence and stemming from this movie. So it should get mad props. Even if like you watch it now and it wasn't your cup of tea, you can see how it originated some other movie that you like a lot. So you gotta give it props for that. So for me, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go three stars. I definitely can't go less than three stars. So I'm gonna go three stars. Way above average. You should definitely check it out. It's entertaining, um, well-made, well-directed, well-acted, liked all the characters, suspenseful, good score, good atmosphere. The death scenes are almost like in the background. But yeah, I'm gonna go with three stars. I could see myself now, not having watched a lot of time, I could see myself watching this movie more and more over the next like 10, 20 years, so. So my overall thoughts is I definitely enjoyed this movie. It's definitely one of the better movies we've done so far. I enjoyed the- Tremors. <laughs> can't believe you shit on drummers but anyway. i will shit on everything sir anyway so i enjoyed the atmosphere of it i enjoyed the fact that it actually took place during christmas christmas is supposed to be a time of joys a time of giving and yet we get this very intense plot and very claustrophobic atmosphere because you're really just stuck in the house almost the entirety of the time and i enjoy the characters each character felt like their own person they weren't one-dimensional because almost every time, um, except for Claire, every character, you get to learn a little bit more about them as the movie progresses. And one thing I definitely love about, definitely would put above in the movies is they really need a total of three things to make a good movie. You need the characterization, you need obviously kills as a slasher, and then you need the lore behind it. 
which we get again if you pay attention to the phone calls you get the lore you get characterization almost every scene whether it's kind of a side character like claire's boyfriend or a main character like jess even a little bit with billy so you get a, you get everything you need for a good horror movie and to be honest i'm going to give this one a three star as well oh wow this is the first time i think well has have we given the same star ring for the movies before i don't think so no, I've given this is my you, first three stars so far. Okay, but I think which one? I think we both both might have gave Santa Slay like two stars though. No, I you gave, gave that a star one. And a half. I was about to say. Even when the movie's bad, you're still below me on the thing. So all right, this is our first, our first. Uh, we're on the same page basically. Like I said, I really feel like um, now having seen it because I've heard about it in circles a lot, and now I can really say it's really actually underappreciated. It should be up there with like the Halloween. I think because there wasn't a franchise from it, mm. there weren't sequels. But the OG, the first one, it should be up there with like the same respect as like the Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Hellraiser. Because there wasn't the sequels, it doesn't have that much of a following. But it should be up there like in everybody's like top 10, top 15 horror movies. Well, to be so. completely honest with you, there's a lot of horror movies out there that got sequels that really didn't need them. <laughs> yeah. There's true. a lot of movies out there that didn't get sequels that could have went with them could have expanded on everything but also at the same time it's a good thing they didn't because most sequels tend to ruin the movies at the end of the day yes like that um thing about halloween think about all the sequels we get with that they should have just left it with one and two in my opinion well again like the strength of billy is that billy's not watered down as a killer because we don't have sequels that give backstory. He's not um, saturated. I mean, it, the first Halloween is so good that it's hard to water it down. But the character Michael Myers is oversaturated and is watered down because of all the sequels. Mm. Same thing with Jason, with Freddy. The more you see them, the more backstory you get. Definitely all that the horror of it goes away. Which is why the very first movie is usually the best one in the series. Yeah, we know a little about Billy and we're never going to know much about Billy. And that's going to keep him always mysterious and scary and that is also where i feel the 2006 remake definitely goes downhills because you learn way too much yeah and it's important to know like when i said there's no franchise yeah there's no franchise don't treat the black christmas black christmas remakes as like one series that you have to watch all of them as a series don't do it don't do it yourself treat this as one separate entity and you know watch those separately but don't think that they're like one trilogy or some shit no and and also do not watch 2019 Black Christmas. Nope. Save your brain cells. Watch a better movie. Like this one. Please. Yes, and now next year next week, folks. Well, you know. Hmm. Can you word right? Well, I was gonna say, next next week is New Year's. So barring us finding a really good New Year's movie, barring that, we're gonna do no holds barred. Did you really need to do that? (laughs) I had to do it. (laughs) Pun intended. All right. So anyways, we'll see you guys next week. And uh, I'm off to put out the milk and cookies so Santa Claus can give me some great gifts. And I think Nick's going to pray for a PS5, but he'll probably get a lump of coal. So anyway, you all have a good night. Take care. And always remember. Happy holidays. Exactly. Merry Christmas. That's not what you were going to say. <laughs> you had something else to say. Probably. I mean, I, I don't. You said always remember. They don't need to remember that. But No, actually, better yet, always remember. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>